0: Good morning, church. So blessed to be with you this morning to worship the Lord and to deliver unto you the Word of God. Please turn to your Bibles in Ephesians chapter 5. We're going to be examining verse 6 through 14. When you do have that, please do stand for the reading of God's Word. Again, the text is Ephesians chapter 5, verse 6 through 14. Hear ye this morning. The word of the living God. Let no one deceive you of empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partners with them, for at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and bright and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, and rise from the dead, and Christ shall shine on you. Amen. You may be seated. Let me pray. Father, we are so thankful that uh, in your providence, in your goodness, in your mercy, you have allowed us to go through the various trials and ups and downs of life throughout this past week. But you have faithfully delivered us to this place of worship on this Lord's Day to again give unto you, which is rightfully due to you, that is worship, honor, and adoration. We pray, God, that you would help us to see the truth of your word, to walk as beloved children of light in a dark and wicked age. We pray for the empowering and enlightenment of your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, brethren, as we look at God's word today, we're reminded of the times in which we're living in. The days that we're living in are indeed wicked, dark. The times in which we are living in are historic and even biblical, where we live in a culture where good is evil and evil is good, where light has been trampled on and now darkness reigns in the land. But brethren, I give you good news that though we live and walk in a shadowy, dark place, and I would go so far as to venture to say that Silicon Valley, the Bay Area, is among the darkest places in this country and maybe even the world, don't be confused by the affluence, by the riches, by the wealth, by the prosperity that some possess in this land, in this particular place. And when the reality is spiritually speaking, we live in a dark and wicked place where darkness again reigns and light is trampled upon. But we were given this word from the words of the living God, Again, looking at Ephesians chapter 5, verse 6, where Paul says, Let no one deceive you. Let no one deceive you with empty words. Now this is very important, beloved, because Paul uses this often in his writings, and he'll give a warning, and the warning is do not be deceived. If you're following along in today's teaching, write this in there, please. Do not be deceived why not? Why not be deceived? What is he trying to protect us from? What is he trying to warn us of? Notice the implication, let no one deceive you of empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. What are these things that Paul is referencing? Well, clearly, what was referenced in last week's message, which we find in verse Verses uh, 3 to 5, and just to remind you of the text, we'll read together, it says, But sexual morality and all impurity or covetousness must not be even named among you, as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. All these things that we just mentioned, whether it be sexual morality, impurity, covetousness, idolatry, filthiness, crudeness, impurity of all types and kinds. These are all commonplace in our culture. Not only are they commonplace, but these are things that are often celebrated in our culture don't believe me all you have to do is scroll through social media for 5 minutes even less than that and you'll see what people post about themselves how promiscuous people tend to be on social media sites how these things are often celebrated in our culture i mean i'm still trying to figure out why uh in my uh You know, I get these little notifications every once in a while on my phone of news, and I'm still trying to figure out why I'm getting notifications that Kim Kardashian broke up with this guy I don't even know about. Like, why is that important to me? Why do I care? And the answer is, is I don't, and neither should you. These are things that the world celebrates, promiscuity and and, and scandal and different types of relationships, and, and these are things that are not even fit to be mentioned among saints to be even thought about and so beloved we are told and we are confronted with this truth in holy scripture that we are not to be deceived with empty words how so well there will be those in the culture those in the world those in high places of power and authority who even in our levels of government who say promiscuity is okay You can do whatever you want, whatever you want. It's your body, your choice. You do whatever you want with it. You know, several, you know, not that long ago, we we were in the midst of the full-blown pandemic, and individuals in our government were telling us what we were to do with our bodies, and now there's another sickness out there called monkeypox. Maybe you've heard of it. And yet with this illness, we know how it's usually transferred through sexual morality and activities of that like, and yet, what, does our, what do our elected leaders say in regard to the spread of this virus? They say, well, we can't control it. There's nothing we can do. We can't promote abstinence because that would fundamentally break down the cornerstone of their ideology, which is you should do whatever you want, whenever you want, with your body when it comes to wickedness when it comes to impurity, when it comes to sin. See, the government doesn't want to curtail that type of activity. In fact, they encourage it. These are the days in which we're living in. Therefore, beloved, let us not be deceived with empty words, words that would lead us into thinking that promiscuity, that sin of any type of an impurity of any kind is permissible and okay. Beloved, this isn't just a warning for our governmental authorities or what we see on social media. This is a warning that should also be heed in the church of God. Because there are preachers even who believe and teach that all types of sexual uh, promiscuity is okay. And this is an abominable sin. And a deception. Therefore, do not be deceived with empty words. You, you, you have to distinguish empty words with fulfilled words. And the fulfilled words are that which we find in Scripture, which are the oracles of the living God. Empty words lead us astray. Notice the tactic of Satan, the devil, in the garden. When he spoke to Adam and Eve, when he spoke to Eve, and, and the, the the cunningness of the serpent said to Eve, Surely you will not die. Empty words made an empty promise from an empty being who could not fulfill the needs, desires, and wants of Eve. Beloved, empty words will always lead us into emptiness. It promises to fill, it promises to delight it promises things that it can never truly give or satisfy and that is the temptation of sin sin and the enticement of sin can never fully deliver on its promises it will promise a brief escape from the struggles the 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 the, the pain and the sorrow of life and yet it will only leave you at the end with more pain suffering and sorrow that is the deceptiveness and the emptiness of sin and what it produces but also notice what it says in verse 6 let no one deceive you of empty words for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience if you're writing if you want to write this in there's in the notes do not be deceived for wrath is appointed to those who are sons of disobedience and the warning to not be deceived is very important. We see Paul use the same phrase again in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 33, where he says, Do not be deceived. Bad company spoils good character. He warns the brethren in the midst of speaking of the resurrection of Christ, of those who are indeed bad company, who produce bad fruit in the lives and their personal lives in the lives of those around them who we keep company with beloved matters it's important examine your life for a moment under the scrutiny of god's word are those whom you are in company with lovers of god lovers of righteousness or do they love sin and they encourage you to sin i used to have co-workers and friends who would always try to push my limits as a christian And it would always say, hey, you want to come to this place of us? Or do you want to come have some drinks over here? Or do you want to do this or that? And always testing to see if I would stay the course. And brethren, many different temptations, many different friends even, who would try to lead you astray in that way by pushing your boundaries to dishonor the one whom you serve, even Christ. And so, beloved, be on the guard, and guard yourselves, guard your hearts, for it is the wellspring of life. And do not be deceived or partakers with the sons of disobedience, for on them the wrath of God abideth. Think of that for a moment, that God's wrath abides upon the sons of darkness, the sons of disobedience. It shall come upon them like a flood. Think of the days of Noah. When there was only one righteous family of all the families of the earth. And you had all the wicked individuals who were warned, who were told of God's coming wrath, and they ignored it. We are living in such times even today, where people think that all things will continue as they have been so far in the creation, and that there is no expectation of judgment. But even those in the secular world don't truly embrace that. Because they are the ones who are ultimately very apocalyptic in the language that they use regarding the earth. That we only have 12 years to fix the earth before it is completely uninhabitable, or they're always setting up some different type of cataclysmic event in order to get you to follow their edicts, their way of thinking, their will. But, beloved, surely there is a day that is appointed where the nations shall know the Lord and his righteous judgments and decree. And that day is coming soon. Even so come, Lord Jesus. God's work encourages us. And as we uh, examine verse 7 of Ephesians 5, it says, Therefore do not become partners with them. Well, who's the them? Who are the ones who Paul is warning us of in order to not become partakers with them? Well, the them are those, A, who are in the world, but be also those who claim to be Christians, those who even maybe attend church, but do not live according to the edicts and the command of our God and Father. For there are many in the Christian church today even who believe and who, 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 who live a life of promiscuity and they think that it's okay because we're covered by grace. Remember what Paul says in Romans chapter 6, should we continue to sin so that grace may abound? There are many people who'd say, yeah, let's continue to sin because grace is like an ocean. You know, they sing songs like that, oceans and very vague worship songs that have no theological depth to it. Because everything is permissible. Everything is just hunky-dory. And you can do and be whatever you want, and God will accept you. And, and they have this coddled version of Christ, this coddled version of the gospel, and a gospel where there's no judgment, where there's no condemnation. But the reality is there is a judgment and there is a condemnation. But the judgment for us is not one unto condemnation but unto life. But there is a judgment that is coming upon the world that we cannot hide, nor should we shrink back from declaring, This is why it is so important that as a church we evangelize the whole gospel, the whole counsel of God. Not shrinking back from that which may be uh, difficult to hear or for individuals to receive, but we shrink not, but we declare unto the people the whole counsel of the living God. Therefore, do not become partakers with them. Them being those who do not adhere to the gospel and the power of God of the righteous age to come. If you're writing this, please write this. Do not partner with the wicked. Do not partner with the wicked, but walk as children of light. Notice what it says in verse 8. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. All of us once lived Under the darkness and the oppression of sin, where we did and we were led by our passions and we uh, participated in deeds and works of darkness, but now as children of God who have come under the banner, the Lordship of Jesus Christ, you're no longer children of darkness, but now you are children of light. Paul is very concerned with the theological implications of salvation by grace through faith and the outworking of that redemption in the Christian life. Because to him, salvation isn't something that's just theoretical or simply theological, but it's something that is practical. Salvation, that moment that you trust in Jesus as your Savior, the moment that you receive eternal life, it changes you from the inside out. It changes the way that you perceive things. It changes the way that you behave. It changes your very desires and the very intimate parts of the human soul. God breathes into us new life through the gospel. It's called regeneration. And through that regenerative work, God grants us the power of his spirit to change us, to motivate us, to love righteousness over evil, to be and walk as children of light and no longer as children of darkness. This is the power of the gospel at work in us, beloved. Therefore, again, the 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 warning is clear. Do not become partakers with them because at one time you were darkness. Therefore, we don't return to it. You don't return to that which Christ saved you from. You move past it. You grow in holiness. You, you, you go into uncharted territories for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You live a different life, a, a holy one, set apart life for holy use, for righteous use. You don't only consider yourself, your plans, your future, what will get you ahead financially, what will get you ahead in life, but rather your focus is on the kingdom. That is where the power of a transformed life comes in. And I want you, beloved, to walk in that, to have the mindset of Christ, who though he was in the form of God, Scripture says, he did not consider equality of God as something to be held on to or grasped, but he humbled himself, taking on the form of a servant and being found obedient even to the point of death on a cross. Therefore, God highly exalted this Christ and gave him a name that is above every name. Beloved, we are to have that mind, the same mind that was in Christ Jesus, that He, though He was God in eternity, lavished with all types of glorious praise that you and I could not even begin to comprehend or imagine, yet even in that glorious state and estate, He humbled Himself, thinking not of His own self, not thinking of His own gain, but rather losing His gain for our sake. That is the heart of the Christian is to have that same mind that was in Christ Jesus. Therefore, beloved, we do not become partakers with those who share in the deeds of darkness, but rather we recognize that though we were at one time in darkness, God has now delivered us from darkness into His marvelous light. Therefore, run into His marvelous light. Find your comfort, your hope, your desire in Christ. Now, this has practical application for life, as I said and mentioned. But I want you, if you can, turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 6. This is a verse that we recently went through in our home groups. But for the sake of this message, I believe there's much application to be found in it. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6, notice what the Word of God says starting in verse 14 Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. Or what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Belial? Or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? Or what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. Praise God. Therefore, Paul's warning is all the more clear in this text, is it not? Do not become unequally yoked. When I was a kid, I didn't know what that word meant. I thought it was, had something to do with an egg, an egg yolk. Uh, but later on in life, I found out that the word yoked, it comes from the uh, understanding of having this yoke of burden on a beast. It's kind of like a device that was put on a cattle in order to help them break ground for agriculture use. And, uh, and you'd often have two beasts together, um, and uh, that would break the ground as the device went forward. On the back of the cattle. Now, if you have one cattle or one beast that's big and, and, they, and they have the yoke on, but then you have another one that's small, that's not quite fitted for that yoke, what's gonna happen is that the bigger uh, beast is gonna drag the other one to the point where the smaller one will choke and die. They're unequally yoked. And beloved, that's the state that we find ourselves in if we consider and, cons- and, ins- and ins- actually pursue an unequally yoked relationship with those outside of God's kingdom, is that one or the other is going to be choked. One or the other is going to end up horribly, horribly uh, hurt or even outside of spiritual life and death. And so, beloved, we want to remind you of God's word not to be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For, again, Paul's word to the people of, of the Corinth church is, what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? What does Paul call this to in, in Ephesians chapter 5? To be children not of darkness but of light. The contrast could not be greater between light and dark. And so, therefore, beloved, know and recognize this truth. To walk in light means to put away the deeds of darkness. To walk in light means also to walk with others who are walking in light. Now, is this to say, then, that we cannot have friends or meaningful relationships with those who are not Christians? And the answer is, is, is of course not. We we can have meaningful relationships with people who are not of the same faith as we are. Uh, Many of us have family members, maybe even a spouse who is not a believer, and yet the call from Scripture is to love such individual uh, uh, self-sacrificially to the point that you are obeying Christ in that command, yet... As far as it depends on us, and as far as it is in our capacity and capability, we do not enter into new relationships that are unequally yoked. You can't control who your family is. You can't, uh, you know, control the the heart and thoughts of a spouse. But, as so far as it depends upon you in your new life in Christ, you do not pursue relationships that dishonor our Lord and Savior. For again, what agreement or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? Think of that word, portion. Another idea that we see in Ephesians chapter 5 that we read last week is inheritance. We have a different inheritance. We have a different portion in life. Of course, we preach the gospel. We want to share the gospel with those who are unbelievers. But yet, there ought to be a degree of separation. And that is the call to holiness. Holiness is indeed the call to be cut and separate. If you think again about the word holiness, the word holiness literally means to cut, to cut. Think of it this way. If you're cutting carrots on a chopping board, when you chop that carrot, what do you do immediately with that chopped part? You separate it. You cut, you separate, you cut and separate. And holiness and sanctification is the process in which God is cutting and separating you from the world. Separating you from darkness to light. That is the call and pursuit of holiness. Therefore, beloved, remember and recognize this, you are indeed children of light. Therefore, walk as children of light. Just to finish what Paul says in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, he says, And I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Therefore, go out from their midst and be separate from them, says the Lord, and touch no unclean thing. And I will welcome you, and I will be a father to you, and you will be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. Notice the embrace of the Father. These are words not of a tyrannical uh, tyrant, but instead of a loving father who knows what's best for his children. He's asking, he's he's pleading with us to, to, to not touch the unclean thing. Just as a father would rightfully tell and warn his children of what is good and what is wrong, of what to do and what not to do, therefore God our Father is instructing us in his word what is best for us. And what is best for us is that we, we touch not the unclean thing, that we'd separate, be a separate, holy, clean people and that He will welcome us in and that we shall indeed be sons and daughters of the Most High God. What a privilege and what a blessing it is to know and be found in Jesus. Amen? Amen. Back in our main text in Ephesians chapter 5. If we missed the... Part of the answer, do not partner with the wicked, but walk as children of light. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 10, it says, in verse 9, it says, For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. So there Paul gives us the fruit of light and it's found in all that is good, right, and true. If you want to know what is what is it like to live in the light versus living in the darkness, just consider what is right, what is true, and what is good. When God made the heavens and the earth, did He not say it is indeed very good? When lightness came forth from the brilliance of His person, and touched the face of the earth. And he said, it is very good. Indeed, light is good. And light exposes darkness. Therefore, it says in Scripture again, verse 10, it says, and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Here's one of the tragedies of modern-day evangelicalism in America. And it's pursuit of trying to find spiritual gifts It has forsaken one of the most plain and important gifts of all, which is the gift of discernment. And in the church, we've permitted and allowed uh, many different doctrines to invade into uh, modern thought and modern evangelicalism where it's all about emotionalism, how I feel, getting a fresh new word from God, and yet we have done so at the expense of discernment discerning what is pleasing to the Lord. And what is pleasing to the Lord? That you await a fresh new word from God, or that you receive that fresh yet ancient word passed down to us in His holy word. Beloved, God has spoken. He's spoken by means of holy scripture. Would He not seek alternatives to what God has already given what he has given is indeed enough. It is what is necessary for life and godliness, and we need not pursue any other realm except the word and his righteousness. And yet, at the expense of so many things, we have forsaken this, imp- this important aspect of Christian life, and it is indeed to discern, to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. And instead, we have, in many cases, have done and said, what is pleasing to me? What is pleasing to my heart? What is pleasing to my sensibilities? What is pleasing to my wants, my desires, my wishes for the future? And this is the tragedy that leads to so many divorces in our our country. Divorces even within the Christian church. This is what leads to so much self-deception is that we try to discern what we want, what I want, what would be best for me at the expense of what is pleasing to the Lord. Pastor, are you saying that my, my wants, my needs are not important? Of course they are. But beloved, recognize this truth. That if the Lord be the one that you trust, Surely he shall grant to you the desires of your heart, Proverbs 3, 5. But the desires of your heart ought not to be opposed to desires of God's heart. And the true Christian is the one who has aligned the desires of his heart with the desires of God's heart for you. That is the true true Christian's pursuit is to discern what is pleasing to the Lord, and what is pleasing to the Lord ought to be pleasing to you and I. Because indeed, the call to discipleship is one of self-abandonment. It's not about you anymore. Just like when you get married, it's not about you anymore. When you have kids, it's not about you anymore. It's a life of sacrifice, of servitude, in the pursuit of being a blessing to others. And this is what it's it's like to be called as a Christian. It's the abandonment of self and the pursuit of God's holiness and righteousness through faith in Jesus Christ. Therefore, verse 11 says, take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. In order to be pleasing to the Lord, I want you to write this in here in the third Uh, Part of our uh, teaching in the insert, in order to please the Lord, the Christian must be discerning and expose what? What are we called to expose? Darkness. Darkness. We are to expose darkness. Darkness being the deeds of darkness, the deeds of the flesh, things such as sexual morality, covetousness, uh, crude joking, foolishness, idolatry, all of these things are works of the flesh, works of darkness that do not please our Heavenly Father, but instead lead to shameful acts and living. Therefore, again, it is told to us in Scripture, take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness. Here's an important truth about the works of darkness. They are ultimately unfruitful, unfruitful, that is to say that it, again, shall never truly satisfy the desires of your soul, the desires of your heart. It will always leave you short. It will always leave you wanting more. It's kind of like using a credit card. Okay? Used irresponsibly, and you spend, and you spend, and you spend. You only are accumulating for yourself more and more debt more and more servitude, more and more slavery to he who holds the debt. Therefore, beloved, it is important that we be wise and shrewd, not sinning away as if we are using a credit card of God's mercy and grace because the payment will come due, and it will cost you your life. It will cost you your soul. Therefore, do not be partakers of the deeds of darkness, but expose them. What does it mean then? to expose deeds of darkness. Well, like anything, light is the opposite of darkness. And when you shine the light on something, it exposes it. Uh, my first apartment when I got married, it was a really bad, dingy apartment in a really bad part of town. And uh, But it was the only thing we could afford at the time. Uh, we were newlywed and we got the first apartment that we could find. And um, one night, I'm uh, uh, going into the kitchen, and I flipped the switch, and all I see, these little creatures just scatter everywhere. And I said, honey, I think it's time to move. <laughs> and, and, and and those little creatures, little, little cockroaches just scattered everywhere. and uh, And that was really unwelcome. I did not anticipate that, nor did I want to see that, nor could I now live the thought that those little creatures are living in the same space as me. Not a fun or comforting thing to live with. And beloved, that is sin. It is a perfect picture of sin. It is a creepy crawling thing that infests every aspect of life. It isn't just stay in one corner, but instead it spreads everywhere where you live and do life. Every aspect of life is affected by sin. Just like in that apartment, every aspect, every inch of that house was infested with these disgusting, creeping, crawling things. And sin is likewise the same. It will, in fact, it will traverse every aspect of the Christian's life. Therefore, the only antidote is the light of God's Word. You see, God's Word is is a light unto our feet. It leads us into level ground. It helps us and empowers us. It exposes sin and exposes the treacherous, sinful nature of our own hearts. It illuminates us. It gives us comfort, peace. And it's also a perfect disinfectant for sin. Just like light and UV can kill germs and, 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 and viruses and things of that sort, so the light of God's Word is able to bring forth the elimination of sin and its effects in our life. God's Word is indeed powerful and sharper than a two-edged sword. And it's the light of God's Word that we must run to. Therefore, the light of, I want you to write this in there. The light of God's Word exposes sin. I'm going to read to you. You don't have to turn there. But I'm going to read to you what the Lord Jesus says in Luke chapter 8. In Luke chapter 8, verse 17, these are the words of the Lord Jesus Christ when he says, For nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest, nor is anything secret that will not be known and come to light. Those words, even as a Christian, terrify me. It's a terrifying thing. To know that the secrets of my own heart will one day be exposed under the light of God's judgment, under the light of God's word, that your sins, my sins, nothing will be left unexposed. It's a terrifying thought. And it should move us and motivate us to fear and trembling, to move away from sin, to run from the deceitfulness of sin and run into the arms of your Savior, Because that day is coming when all things will be made manifest. And you will have either two pleas on that day. You can say, Lord, Lord, did I not do this? Did I not do that? Did I not do the right things, the right penance that I needed to make? Or you can say on that day, Lord, I know I'm a sinner. I know that there is nothing good that resides in me that is in my flesh, but that there is only one thing that I, I can appeal to, and that is the blood of the righteous one, even Jesus Christ. And It is on his merits, it is on his goodness, it is on his mercy that I depend. And that is the plea that we should all run to and make on that great day. For we have nothing in ourselves to hang on to or cling to, but only the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ. Therefore, beloved, run, run to Jesus, run from sin and run into the arms of your Savior who loved you, who died for you, who gave himself for you so that you may have life, even life abundant in Jesus Christ. And that abundant life is not to be abundant in one's possessions, but rather be abundant in the spiritual blessing that he gives. And you can be prospering knowing that your sins are covered knowing that your sins have been accounted for on the cross and that you have one to whom imparts and gives perfect light, light that exposes darkness and light that makes one whole. Therefore, again, run to the light of God's word, for it does indeed expose sin. It says again in verse 13, but when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. This is the call to live a transparent and holy life, beloved. To come under the scrutiny of God's word is no easy task. To come under the light of scripture and say, I, I, I know I'm a sinner. I know I've broken God's law. I know that if God's righteous uh, decree and will for me would be to be uh, punished and to be judged for all eternity, and yet he has provided a means of escape. In his infinite goodness and his mercy, he's appointed one, the righteous Jesus Christ, to live the life that you could not live, to die the death that you deserved. And he was raised again on the third day, demonstrating that he is indeed the one whom God has appointed to judge the living and the dead. Therefore, it is to him that we must run to. For when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. Know this about your sin. When you bring it into the light, it loses its power. When you bring your sins out of the shadows, because in the shadows, sin is nurtured. Sin is, the darkness provides like a shroud where we think that no one can see our deeds of wickedness no one knows about the secrets of our hearts therefore under the the guise of darkness we can nurture it and it grows and infests even more but when we bring it under the light of god's word it becomes disempowered you bring, you bring it under the light of disinfection and it begins to to wither and die under the light of god's word so bring your sins to the altar, bring them to the cross, bring them under the light of God's Word, bring them to your pastors so that we may minister to you and pray for you and empower you through the sacred Word which has been delivered to us. Indeed, it does expose all things and all things shall be exposed for the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12-13 to that all things, there's no thing that will be kept hidden from His sight. No Sin, no secrets, no, 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 no idolatry, all these things will indeed be brought under the light of God's word and judgment. Therefore, it is best that we do so now while there is still mercy, while there is still grace, and while there is still time to live a holy and set-apart life. Paul ends this thought with this quote from Scripture it says, he says in verse 14 again, for anything that becomes visible is light, therefore it says, therefore he's quoting from the Old Testament and the quotation that he provides is a little different from what is found in Scripture in the Old Testament, but we'll, we'll examine that in a moment. It says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. The reference here is from Isaiah chapter 60. I want you, if you can, turn there to Isaiah chapter 60. And notice what it says in verse 1 of Isaiah 60. These were the words of the Lord to the prophet Isaiah concerning the future glory of Israel. And it says, Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. Notice the liberty that Paul takes in quoting this text. You know, some people may wonder, why does Paul, when he quotes a text like this from Isaiah, why does he take such liberty with it? Uh, you know, some people say, well, that's that's a good case for having paraphrased Bibles, like the Living Bible or the NLT, because, hey, if Paul was it to take liberty, so can these, you know, 34 translators. Um, and I don't think that would be a proper application of that thought. Uh, but here's why I think Paul takes liberty with Uh, quoting these verses because not only is he inspired of god to write holy scripture but he's also an inspired interpreter of god's word therefore when he looks at a verse like isaiah chapter 60 he is exegeting it for us bringing out the intent and the light of god's word in light of the fulfillment that has come in jesus christ so when in Isaiah where it says arise shine for your light has come and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you and Paul then goes on to say awake o sleeper and rise from the dead is showing the intent of what Isaiah was prophesying, which was that God had a people that was dead, but he had made alive, and he made them alive in Jesus. This is what we see in Ephesians chapter 2, that though you were dead in your trespasses and sins, God, being rich in mercy, made you alive in Christ Jesus. It is in the Messiah that you who were once dead have now been brought to life, spiritual life. You were born again. Therefore, Paul can say and write this, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead. That is a spiritual death. And let the light of Christ shine on you. In Isaiah, it says, The glory of the Lord shall shine on you. Yet Paul, again, the perfect interpreter of God's word here, is able to say that Christ will shine on you because Christ is indeed the glory and the radiance of God. He is the glory of God manifested to us in these last days so that we can have eternal life through his shed blood and his resurrection from the dead. The implication here is clear, is to awake, O sinner. Awake from the darkness of sin and death and live in the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. Paul puts it this way elsewhere. To walk in the newness of life. That is the command. That is the call. The call for you and I is clear. To wake from our sleep, to arise from spiritual death, for there is a day in which there will be a physical resurrection when body, soul, and spirit are reunited and reconstituted as full, and we shall be before him and shine as the excellencies and the brightness of the sun and all its glory. And Christ himself, the glory of the Lord, the second person of the triune God, Indeed, shall shine upon you. To close this time, we can be children of light through Christ who is the glory of Yahweh. I want you to put that in there. Write that in the last space there. We can be children of light through Christ who is the glory of Yahweh and His resurrection from the dead. There is a hope for you and I where we can walk as children of light and not of darkness Not by our own merit, not by our own strength, but by the strength that He provides. The strength that He has made available to us in the gospel of His Son, Jesus Christ. Again, the gospel is clear. And it is presented to you even now that Jesus Christ lived the life that you could not live. You are indeed a sinner. The scripture says of your condition of your human heart that it is desperately wicked. And who can trust it? Yet, God in his infinite wisdom and mercy sent forth his son, born of the virgin, to live the life that you could not live, holy, perfect, blameless. Died the death that you and I deserved. He was crucified next to two thieves, treated as a criminal, spat on, beaten to an inch of his life. And yet, in that death, there was a substitution that was made. Perfect, sinless man died in place of a wretched sinner. And all that God has commanded you to do today is to repent of your sins, turn from wickedness, turn from darkness, and walk into the light of his gospel. And the Bible says that at that moment you will be transferred from death to life, transferred from the dominion of Satan to the dominion of his beloved son. In Christ, there is freedom. In Christ, there is forgiveness. In Christ, there is love. You are loved. May you know him today. Let me pray. Lord, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for all that you have accomplished on that cross so that we can now gather and even sing together. I will glory in my Redeemer. Lord, you have done so many wonderful things that it will take all eternity for us to recount to sing and glorify and magnify your works of salvation. We pray, God, that you'd give us even now the empowering work of your Spirit to help us to leave and to move away from works of darkness, to forsake all things of this world and all that it has to offer, and to trust fully in Jesus Christ so that we may indeed know what it's like to be transferred from darkness to light be, to be children of, of disobedience, to children of light and obedience. We pray, God, that you'd help us and enable in us that which is pleasing your sight and to the glory of the Father, Son, and Spirit. In your name we pray, amen. Well, beloved, at this point, I'm going to ask the worship team to come forward, and we're going to be singing together a new song. And It's found in the back of your bulletin, and the name of the song is I Will Glory... In my Redeemer, the worship team will gently lead us in that song. And may you join in heart and in spirit as we worship and glory in our most precious Redeemer. Please do stand.